Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. Genesis is where we're going to turn this morning. I want to talk to you about personal alterations. And if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 35. If you're new to church today, maybe it's your first time, welcome. This is church. And uh, we're going to read out of Genesis 35 this morning. I'm going to read uh, 14 verses. And so that's about 14 sentences. Everything that I teach on this morning will be connected to these 14 verses. After I read the verses, I'll pray real quick. I usually try to support the Lakers in prayer. They need all the prayers that we can get right now. And uh, after we pray, uh, I'll tell a couple stories, maybe even a couple jokes, if that's okay with you. I like to have fun in church. Anybody else? So one of the things about Ocean's Church is I do believe that who you are before Jesus is a lot of times who you are with Jesus as it pertains to what your interests are. If you're interested in music and you play the piano, usually when you become a Christian, you don't stop playing the piano. Usually you just start using your gift in a different way. And the same thing's true. I like to laugh before I knew Jesus, and I still enjoy a good laugh. And so, Lord, help a couple jokes land for a brother. And so we're going to have a good time this morning. If you have your Bible, though, uh, I'll tell a couple stories. But I do want to be clear with you. My intention is we're not going to just study God today. Uh, our goal at Ocean's Church is to experience him. We're very rich in knowledge of God. We're very poor in experience. And uh, I, I believe that this is going to be a church that's unique, that we don't just discuss and point fingers and get big magnifying glasses and say, look at that about God. I think God is not just a father that wants to be studied. He's a father that wants to be loved. So you got your Bible. Exodus uh, is the book after Genesis. <laughs> that was a good recovery right there. Genesis chapter 35. Yeah, that was smooth. All right. Chapter 35, a book of Genesis, verse one, it says, then God spoke to Jacob. Who are we talking about this morning? Very important here. This is the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, Father Abraham had some church kids in here. Everyone else is like, this is a cult. (laughs) Genesis chapter 35. Then God said to Jacob, arise up, go to Bethel, and dwell there, and make a altar. Say it with me, altar. Very important here. Altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of your brother Esau. And Jacob said to to all of those people that were in his household, and who are with him, they, he said, put away, guys, your foreign gods, little g's, that are among you. Purify, get yourself prepared, and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar. Someone say altar. I'll make an altar there to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods who were, were in their hands, and all the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them underneath the terebinth tree, which was in Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon all the cities that were around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is the land, in the land of Canaan, uh, Canaan, and he and all the people that were with him came together, and they built an, very important here, they built an altar, and they called that place El Bethel. And because there was God that appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Let's skip a verse, verse 9. Then God appeared to Jacob again. And when he came to Paddan Aram, God blessed him and God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel will be your new name. 
So he called his name Israel. There's a name change. Also, uh, he said, a, God said to him, I am the God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from out of you. And kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham, Isaac, I give to you and to your descendants after you. I have given you this land. Then God went up from Uh, from him in that place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked to God, a pillar of stone, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it. He poured oil on top of it, stay with me, and Jacob called the name of that place that God spoke to him, Beth-El, which literally translates house of God. It's where we get the word church. You ready to go? I want to talk to you today about personal alterations, alterations. God, I just thank you for the privilege for, to be at uh, Ocean's Church this morning, my favorite place to be on a Sunday morning. Thank you for a brand new church that, God, you have great things in store for. I do believe that, God, we're building something today with you and for you, that God isn't just for us, it's for our kids, it's for our grandkids. I thank you that you're going to do things, God, that are in this region that will actually go out to other regions of the earth. I thank you that you're formating a, a, no, a new tribe. There's a new people that you're bringing all walks together, different backgrounds, different church experiences. But, God, I thank you that you're forming a new family. I pray you'd meet us today, speak to us today, whether we're close or whether we're near. And I just pray that you would continue to help the Los Angeles Lakers in Jesus' name. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. amen. If you believe some of it, say amen. I'm not a Laker fan. Okay, God bless you. I don't know if you uh, can relate to this at all. I know we're in Orange County, but I did not have a personal wardrobe going up. When I was growing up, I did not have my own wardrobe. I had two older brothers' wardrobes. I had hand-me-downs. And uh, my two older brothers are four years older than me and eight years older than me. So there's four-year gaps between all of us. And so when you're trying to fit into your older brother's clothes, now my brothers are not only older than me, they're giants. They were were fully grown at like six years old. And so they were tall, they were super skinny. Like my brothers were so skinny, they had to run around in the shower to get wet. They're skinny. And uh, so they were tall and skinny. I was not skinny. And I, I like to think of it as a necessity to gain weight to fit into your brother's clothes. Like these actually are not skinny jeans. Come on, somebody. I just filled them out. I've been preparing for a big role. It's, it's actually in Hollywood. It's a cinnamon roll at a bakery in Hollywood. And uh, dad jokes, come on. <laughs> been waiting to use that one. But I grew up with two older brothers, and I didn't have my own wardrobe. I remember wearing their clothes all the time. So it's funny that my first job would actually go uh, and apply and get a job working at a tuxedo shop. And so my first job, one of my first jobs growing up, I worked at a tuxedo shop. And I really only worked there because I knew that prom was coming up. And I didn't want to wear my brother's suits to prom. I wanted to wear something that actually fit. Can I get an amen? And so my job at this tuxedo shop was actually to not only uh, fit people for tuxedos, but it was actually to tailor, uh, measure people's measurements out. Uh, We would tailor suits. We would alter uh, tuxedos. So we would, I I learned kind of how to sew a little bit. I knew how to, actually I was better at pulling the the hem out of the, the, the jacket than actually sewing it into the jacket. And I remember working there, though, uh, for an entire prom season. And my, my goal was like, God, I want to look good for prom. And so I'm going to get a job. I don't care if I'm not getting paid here. I just want to look good for prom. And so I got to rent this really fancy tuxedo for free. And it's like dumb and dumber. And uh, I was pretty proud of it. But uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if you ever wore clothes that just feel like they don't fit very well. 
But uh, I don't know why I've been talking about clothes a lot lately. I, I, I really, I promise I don't like clothes as much as my wife does. But I, I don't know if you ever wore a, like a, a coat, blazer. If you're a guy, you've wore trousers that either are way, way too short, which is kind of the style right now. Um, or they're way, way too long. I remember wearing, there was a season, how many remember like jean, was it J-N-C-O jeans? Cross colors. And they would be so baggy that it would like cover your entire foot. They'd be dragging on the ground. You'd be like shredding the jeans as you walked throughout the day. There were some weird trends. Some of you are like, you're in a weird trend. Thank you. I appreciate that. Where's your socks? Don't worry about it. Um, I, uh, I realized that growing up, I mean like I just there's something about things that don't fit you well. And I love it when, when people would come in, we would take something that was not fitting, a generic fit, didn't fit very personal, and actually make that thing fit to perfection. And we would alter the suit, we would alter the pants to actually fit the individual perfectly. And I believe this is what, I mean, I just, I don't know about you, I just wish sometimes in life we could actually take the things that don't fit right now in our lives... And just bring them to somebody or something and say, this does not fit properly. It's not working properly. Change it. Change it. My marriage needs to be changed. My attitude needs to change. I don't know why I got tons of money, but I still have a loneliness in my soul. Would you alter this emptiness? Would you, I don't know why, I thought power, I thought success, I thought the house, I thought traveling, I thought the kids, I thought the spouse. I thought these things would actually fit me in such a way that I would feel like I was completely perfect. But I live in Orange County, which is one of the greatest places on the earth to live, and I find that I'm still struggling with the same dissatisfaction that I had prior to achievements. And I was thinking through this idea that why is it in life, it seems like everything can be working, everything can be going in the right direction, and we still feel like this thing just doesn't quite fit right. I feel like my, 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 my season of life, just something's not fitting the way it should fit. My, my, my parenting style, my, my financial decisions, my, 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 my perspective, my values, my worldview. I just feel like, man, things are bothering me, almost like a jacket that doesn't fit, like a pair of pants that keep falling off of your waist. It's like I'm just so agitated, almost on a consistent, regular basis at the dysfunctional settings of my life. And I wish I could just take it to some sort of tailor that could just change it, alter it, fix it, make it fit. And I started thinking about this. I like to think about these little crazy, like just very similar uh, sounding words that have totally different meanings. I think that's called a synonym. You're welcome. And I was thinking about this, that we want to alter, which literally means to change. It means to make different. We want to alter things, and I really do believe, I wanted to teach something ancient, but I wanted to teach it in a new school way, that one of the greatest ways to alter things in our life now, change things in our life now, is actually found in the Old Testament when we look at altars. So you could say this way, that we are altered at altars. God alters us at altars. And the reason why I could have talked about a lot of altars today, because all throughout the Bible there's altar builders. And by the way, it's not just in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. We see that guys like Noah got out of the boat and they built an 
altar. We see people like Abram offer up his son Isaac on a altar. Jacob built an altar. Uh, we see, uh, that's what we read about, Isaac built altars. We see people all throughout the Bible. Balaam built an altar. Joshua built altars. Gideon built altars. Manoah, the father of Samson, built an altar. We see that Elijah repaired the altars. David uh, built altars. Saul even built an altar. And in the New Testament, Zechariah, before he gets the announcement from Gabriel that he was going to have a son in his old age named John the Baptist, the original hipster who shopped at, come on, uh, uh, what's the name of the store? Uh, it's Urban Outfitters, the original hipster. It says that he ate locust and wild honey. He shopped at Whole Foods. Whole Foods is Greek for full price, double price. That's what Whole Foods means. You're welcome. You know what's crazy is John the Baptist's dad has a word that comes from God while he's standing in the temple at the altar of incense. And then we move on to the book of Acts, and we see in Acts chapter 18, that, that uh, actually it's Acts chapter 17, that Paul comes into Athens and everyone's worshiping everything. There's gods everywhere. We worship entertainment. We worship, we worship uh, relationships. We worship uh, money, power, success. It sounds a little bit like Orange County. And everyone's worshiping everything except God, really. And Paul comes in and says he was agitated in his spirit. And he goes, guys, I saw when I walked into church today that there's actually a temple and an altar that actually says to the unknown God. And Paul says, guess what? There's even altars in Orange County that people don't know what they're worshiping to, but I want to tell you what you should be calling it. I want to rename some altars that you're worshiping to that you don't even realize you're worshiping to. I want to tell you today that if you don't, uh, the word worship's just a fancy way of saying to reverence or to adore, to give value, to give worth to. And some of you are like, that's a scary word. I get it. It's kind of an intimidating word if you're new to church. But I want you to know that we live in a worshipful world. Everyone's worshiped something. And I believe that marriages fall apart when you're worshiping the wrong things. Families fall apart when you're worshiping the wrong things. It's not if you worship, it's what you worship. People worship sports. People worship money. People worship stats. People worship traveling. People worship uh, hobbies. We, we live in a hobby-filled society. And I'm not against any of those things. But I want you to know that when you have the wrong thing on the altar and the wrong thing on the cross, it actually messes things up. And what we're doing in our society is we're leaving Jesus on the cross and we're putting our hobbies on the altar. And I'm telling you right now that when you put the wrong things on God's altar, it'll bring dissatisfaction to your soul. Going deep a little bit, too deep, too fast. But I want you to know that if you worship your marriage, it'll eventually fall apart because people can't, they can't carry the worship that belongs to God. That's why some of you, you're still broken from a relationship that you gave him the highest honor in your life. And he lets you down because people aren't worthy of the honor that only God deserves. That's why we got to keep God on the throne and we got to keep our bad habits on the cross. I love, uh, it says this in Genesis that, 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 that Jacob, Jacob built an altar, built an altar. I could have talked about a lot of guys that built altars, but I, I chose Jacob because Jacob's name means crooked. He was a, he was a schemer. He was a crook. He was a felon. He was, he was pretty dysfunctional. His, 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 he was not only a con artist, he came from a sneaky family. His mama was sneaky. Come on. Jacob's mama wasn't just sneaky. His grandpa Laban was a, was a shyster. He was a sneaky guy. He was, he was the guy that changed the wages of his daddy ten different times. We see here that he comes from a dysfunctional family. 
But what we see about this guy named Jacob, who is a crooked uh, con artist, he's a schemer, is that in Genesis 35, he returns to the place that he had a God encounter, and God says, I want you to build an altar where you encountered me. Which I want to make a theological point here, that you can have an encounter with God and not build an altar. It's actually possible to say, I've had a God encounter, but I'm not enjoying the, the benefits of actually living my life building an altar to God. Because building an altar is quite different than just having a God encounter or a God experience. Altars in the Bible were very significant because they represented a place of God encounters. Genesis chapter 28, Abraham had an encounter with God and he built an altar. It represents a place of forgiveness. In the tabernacle of meeting, I'm going a little bit deep this morning, but just stay with me. In the tabernacle of meeting, there was a thing called the brazen altar. It was the place that we experienced forgiveness, that priests would actually experience forgiveness for the sins of the people that were offered. It wasn't just a place of forgiveness and encounter. Altars were a place of worship. This was the most common altar built in the Bible, is that people would actually construct stones and sticks and wood, and they would build an altar because they wanted to say thank you to God, acknowledge with gratitude how good God has been. And this was the altar of incense. This was a place of praying in a holy place where the priest would make a offering to God on the behalf of himself and on the behalf of other people. And finally, there was, there was altars of covenant. This is the altar that was built between uh, God and Abraham. It's an altar of covenant. And then there was finally uh, the last one. There was a, there's an altar of intercession, which is a fancy word of saying that when you encountered God, you started praying for other people. Joel actually told people to build this altar. And what happened was is when Joel told the people to build this altar, it, it was on the behalf of the people in a devastated economy. Joel says things are broken. The only way they're going to get fixed is if we start building the right altar. Marriage is broken. The only way this thing gets fixed is if we start building the right altar. I'm in a bad financial place. My kids are crazy. Uh, I feel like things are falling apart in my life. Here's what Joel says. Start building the right altar. I believe that altar building is as appropriate today as it's ever been. And I believe that you will always become like what you worship on your altar. And if you worship sports, you become the sports kind of crazed human being that can't live for 30 minutes without telling somebody about what's happening in some sport on the earth. I'm not against that guy, but I don't want to just be a sports almanac. I don't want to just be an entertainment almanac. I can tell you what movie came out, what actor was in it, who started it, who wrote it, who screenplayed it, who did the soundtrack for it. I'm, I'm telling you, not bad, but I don't want to just be a movie encyclopedia. I believe one of the greatest things that we can do is actually be knowledgeable of things that matter long term. And I love this because Jacob was this was tricky, kind of, kind of peculiar individual and character. And it gives me hope that if God can use a guy like Jacob to build an altar that was a little bit devious, got sent to the principal's office, hello, I can relate. Got in trouble with the law, hello, I can relate. I've been handcuffed before. I, I spent most of my tenor in school in the principal's office. I did graduate, took me a couple extra years. Just kidding, actually graduated on time. <laughs> Barely. But I'm being honest with you that I really do believe that God, if he can use Jacob to build an altar, God can use anybody to build an altar. Fundamentally believe this. And many times we go, Mark, you'll understand, I've been through some hard things in life. I love the fact that the geological application is relevant when it pertains to building altars. What do you mean? I mean that in Bible days, in the world of antiquity, they would actually use rocks, se seismic rocks, 
from volcanic activity, and they would use these rocks, they would lay them before God and build an altar out of the hard, heavy, sharp things called rocks. And you know what I love about this picture is it's, it's beautiful because volcanoes are natural disasters that create rocks, and these rocks are what are used to build altars. I'm going to preach this a little bit. I really do believe that what we do in life is we, we say, I don't have a reason to build an altar, Mark, because my life isn't going very well right now. My marriage is in a state of a natural disaster. We were in Hawaii uh, last year before we started the church. We're like, let's do something fun before life gets crazy. So we were in Kona. And I'll never forget that that giant volcano, I think it's still going off right now. But we were there the week that it erupted. We were literally, I went to the volcano three days before it erupted. You know what happens when a volcano erupts? It changes the entire atmosphere. And some of you are like, Mark, my life feels like a natural disaster right now. That the environment of my life feels unstable. These were words that they were using. We had emergency broadcast systems coming on our radio saying, this is just a test. We're not sure bad happening. But we were there when the volcano erupted. And I really felt like God was speaking to me, even as I was studying this week about this message, that Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, these guys, they took rocks that were the byproduct of a natural disaster. And they took this heavy, broken, hard thing in their life. And I want to be honest with you, sometimes the greatest altars that you can connect with God at come out of the hardest situations, most broken, fragmented moments of your life. I'm convinced that many times we go, Mark, I can't, I'm not going to raise my hands in church, get involved in church, be excited about God, read my Bible. I've had too bad of a life. I would suggest to you that I think sometimes the people that get the closest to God are the ones that have the most rocks in their life. Because I'm just like, man, there's so much, I have so much material to build with. I got an overabundance of material to build God an altar with. I can tell you, man, I, I remember my parents getting divorced. I remember my dad, mom physically fighting. I remember st- dad sitting on the porch with a gun waiting for mom to come home. I've told the stories. And my story isn't even as bad as many of your stories. I remember being in Bible college, thinking I was going to be a pro snowboarder full time. And God's like, no, go to Bible college. And all of my friends were playing football at USC. A lot of my friends play with Reggie Bush and Matt Leinard and all these guys. And, and they're going to school. I had other friends that were going to school to be lawyers. Other guys going to schools to be doctors. A lot of them are doctors today and lawyers today. And they would call me up two, three years out of high school and be like, Mark, what are you doing with your life now? I'm like, I'm a janitor at my church. And I'm responsible for locking up the facility. It's my big responsibility. I make sure that every night when everybody else leaves the church that I clean it. I clean every toilet. I know how dysfunctional human beings are now. I vacuumed every piece of carpet. I've cleaned every chair. We had 1,100-seat auditorium in Idaho. I vacuumed every chair multiple times. I got glue out of the carpet. I've gotten gum. How do you get gum out of carpet? An iron and a paper towel. That's how you get wax out, too. I know all the janitor secrets. I had a key ring that makes some of y'all jealous. I had the little suspender key ring. You don't know what I'm talking about. You're in Orange County. Settle down. I remember, though. I remember those days. And I remember some of the greatest moments in God encounters I ever had in my entire life is when my greatest responsibility as a janitor was to lock the building up. And I would go into the auditorium, and when no one was there on a Saturday night, around 11.30, 12 o'clock at night, I would literally, I would just get my Bible, and I would start reading. I'd read about 20 minutes out loud, and then I would start praying in the room, and I'd come up on stage, 
and I would start, God would just start giving me messages to preach to people. First message I ever preached and weren't even recorded. So my best material has been lost. I was preaching so good, chairs were falling out under the power of God, getting slain in the spirit. Shandai, come on. I remember those days. I remember that God did something in me then that built an altar that made me who I am now. And we see it all throughout society that we want the outcomes of altars, but not the preparation of them. And if you're a young preacher in here, you're a young business person in here, you never repeat someone's success by copying their delivery. It's only by mimicking their preparation. We try to mimic a message. You don't mimic a message. You mimic the preparation that led to the message. And I built an altar when I was 18, 19, 20, 21. Five years, I was a janitor. All my friends are getting degrees. What are you doing, Mark? I'm going to Bible college, and I'm a janitor at my local church, and I work with junior high kids. Powerful, man. I was thinking to myself, I thought I was going to do something with my life. And this is what I'm not, I'm just like, and again, I'm not hating on any of that stuff, but I literally felt like a failure. I'm like, in the eyes of the world, everyone seems to be moving forward. I seem to be going the other way. What is going on? And what I didn't realize is that God was altering me in this season of building an altar. God took the hardest, darkest, heaviest, jaggedest, Aries, is that a word? I don't know. Parts of my life, and I just started laying them before God. God, I come from a kind of a single family home. Kind of was raised by a mom that was working full time, a stepdad that was, was working all the time. I remember kind of being, you know, just kind of left to myself a lot of my, my adolescence. And I just, I, looking back in my life, I just think, man, God, you used even the hardest seasons of my life to give me the personality, the perspective, the mindset that I have today. God, you can use the hard things to build altars. So I want to ask you a question. What do you do with the broken parts of your life? What do you do with the hard things in your life? And my advice to you would be as the band comes up here, I'm about finished, is I really do believe that the greatest things that we can do with the broken, hard, heavy pieces of our life is actually bring those rocks, those hard things, those hard things, and just lay them down and say, you know, God, this is a hard season, but I still trust you. Still trust you. And not only am I going to bring the difficult parts of my life to God when I pray to him, is I'm going to bring the broken things, the jagged things, and as I do it, even the things that are a byproduct of a natural disaster in my life, I'm going to lay them before God, because that's how they built altars. And you know what they did on altars? They always sacrificed. They sacrificed. You know what I believe the altars should be? Check this out. You can write this down. I believe the altars that we build to God should be places that we let God cut away the things that we don't need anymore. Cut away. I remember... You know, when you alter a jacket, you start sewing fabric together so it's not loose anymore, so it comes together so it fits properly. You know, I think God is so good at when we hear his voice, we experience his presence, is he's so good at actually removing the un unnecessary parts of our mind, our heart, and our soul. I believe that God wants to alter us all personally. Because God will never change your family until he alters you won't change your marriage until he alters your personality, your attitude, your perception, your worldview. I'm convinced, man, that we need more people in the church today building altars. Because altars are places that God meets with us. And if you're taking notes, you can just write these few things down and I'll land the plane. I actually believe that altars will alter you personally in a few different areas. I'm going to go through this very quickly. Altars will alter you, A-L-T-A-R-S's. Well, A-L-T-E-R-S's, sorry for being annoying, 
but they will alter you personally in the area of sanctity. I believe that when you make a decision like, Mark, I'm not a very spiritually minded person. I don't like to sing songs. I don't have a good voice. Neither do I. But I have a good God. And as long as he's good, I'm going to give God my best. Some of you are like, well, Mark, I'm not really a, I'm not like a real hyper-spiritual person. I don't believe you have to be a spiritual person to want to build an altar to God. I don't. I, I don't think that you have to be an extrovert to get excited when you win the lottery. Man, you got really excited. They must have been an extrovert. No, they were probably maybe an introvert. But if something good enough happens to you, it'll change who you are. The gospel is good news. And it's so good that Jesus would love you in spite of you that it actually alters our personality because it's, a, it's, it's this, this space of sanctity that's a holy place whenever God begins to speak to us. I believe that altars that we build to him will change the sanctity of our life. And number two, not only will it uh, alter, uh, alter personally your sanctity, it'll alter your, your desire to serve. Altars were always a place of service. It's when you have this God encounter, you go, go, God, you've been way too good for me, to me, and for me, for me to keep this to myself. It's almost like the story of the lepers in the Bible that actually thought they were going to die. They left the city that that was actually surrounded by a military force, and they walked into the camp only to find that the military wasn't in there. They had all ran away in the middle of the night, and the lepers looked at each other. They're like, you know what's crazy? We could take all of this all this food, all this money that the military left behind and just take it to ourselves. But there's people in the city that we left that are starving to death. And they said, how could we experience the goodness of God outside of the camp and actually take all of it for ourselves and not return to tell people there's freedom outside of these, these walls? This is the message of Christianity, is that you taste the bread as a beggar and after you taste his bread, your, your life is pretty much consumed with serving other people saying, the same bread that I found, you can taste. Because Christianity at its lowest common denominator is one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. We serve at altars. We sacrifice at altars. We not only sacrifice, but Jacob teaches us that we have revelations of who God is at altars. And I'm about to land the plane here. I believe that our identity is found at the altars. He says, your name's no longer crooked, con artist, trickster. Maybe everybody called you that growing up, but I'm not calling you that anymore. And I want you to know that what I call you is more important than what your mama called you, than what your friends called you at school, what your coworkers called you. You're, you're this, that, you're the, you're the broken this, you're the prostitute this, you're the dysfunctional that, you're the angry, you're the abuser, you're the addict. Listen to me, I call you a new name. Because at altars, God always changes our identities. Why should I build an altar? Because God at an altar can change your name. And in the Bible, when God changed the name, it was because he wanted to change a nature. It was not about just hearing a different voice. It was about experiencing a new opportunity to live differently. You're no longer going to be Jacob, crooked, con artist, deceiver. You're going to be Israel. You're going to be father to many nations. It'll change your identity, which ultimately will lead to this changing your destiny. If you let God alter you personally, it will alter your trajectory in life. I am here today, not because I'm a good person, but because when I was 18 years old, I had a God encounter that would alter the way that my life traveled. And one of the greatest things you can give your kids, by the way, 
is raising them in an environment that they can have that same God experience that you had. God alters our destiny. We'll turn inevitably, and I'll close with this, alter our inheritance. Alter your inheritance. I am a firm believer that the altars that we build will leave a legacy to our children and to our children's children. My grandma worked for things that she never got paid for. And I'm reaping some of the benefits of her hard work in her life, in this life. You know, it's crazy. So we're going to have a youth camp this summer. So you, if you have junior high, high school kids, it's going to be awesome. And we're going to take your kids to a camp. It's actually a four-square camp called Camp Cedarcrest. And you know, it's crazy. Only four-square churches can actually go to Camp Cedarcrest. But because my cousin is the only non-four-square church that has access to the camp, it's the exact same camp that we're going to go to that my grandma, when she was 13 years old, living in Pasadena, had a God encounter at. And my dad, when he was in junior high and high school with his sister, went to the same camp, Camp Cedarcrest, and had God encounters at. And you fast forward, I got to speak at this camp probably six, seven different times, different churches, spoke at their youth camps. And now our church in Orange County, because of my cousin, has access to a camp that my family had built altars at. Altars will always affect your inheritance. And if you don't want to build one for you, build one for your kids. Build one for your wife. If you don't want it enough personally, build it for somebody else. But I'm telling you that you'll never go backwards in life when you put God first. You can stand your feet. I'm finished. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.
Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.